everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan, and if we haven't met, I would love to meet you sometime. So please, please, please come and introduce yourself to me afterward. Uh, let me also say that uh, whoever you are, you know, whatever your story is, whatever paths have led you to this place tonight, whatever your relationship is with faith or not, we're really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad that you're here. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Jason was teaching us, and uh, in the middle of him teaching, he had a really bad cold uh, that made things really hard on him, but I felt fantastic at that point in time. <laughs> uh, well, so now it's my turn to teach, uh, so I have the cold, uh, which means everything's a little foggy up here, which means I'm going really note-heavy today, uh, but uh, in a place where we teach in the round, uh, being note-heavy means I have to keep coming back here, which means some of you may get more of my backside than normal, uh, and for that I'm sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> but being sick didn't keep me from going and standing outside in the rain for 20 minutes tonight to get a waffle, so uh, I, I think things are looking up a little bit. And might I just say uh, that the fact that I'm a part of a church where it's, what, like 30, 40-something degrees outside and raining, and there were still, like, 20 people standing outside for, like, 20 minutes to half an hour to get a waffle, like, tells me that I'm in the right place, that, that I found my people. Uh, yeah, so that's really wonderful. So I see there's still some waffles going, which makes me really excited. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Uh, so we are starting a series uh, talking about being good neighbors. What does it mean to love our neighbors well? Uh, to really love people uh, like Jesus loves us. And what does it mean for us to love our city well? As we talk about this, uh, both today and throughout the series, um, a lot of my experience comes from my time in a small neighborhood on the northwest side of South Bend called Keller Park. I've shared some of my story before. I'm going to share a little more. Uh, but a lot of the things I talk about come out of a lot of failures uh, of what it meant for me to be a neighbor and about this journey for me to understand uh, growing into what it meant to be a good and loving neighbor. Uh, I never intended on becoming a good neighbor or becoming passionate about neighboring, uh, partially because that's not really something you aspire to as a child. Um, I also didn't aspire to become a philosophy major as a child, but <laughs> those things happen too. Uh, sometimes in life, things just kind of catch you, uh, even when you're not being intentional about them. Uh, I also never intended to become a good neighbor because I just always assumed that I would be a good neighbor, uh, just naturally, right? So I'm an extrovert, and so I like to talk to people. If you've gotten to know me at all, you probably know that I talk probably a little too much, right? Uh, but I like to talk to people, and so the fact that you like to talk to people and you end up as neighbors, you end up living next to people, I thought that would automatically make me a great neighbor, just being able to talk to people alone. But more than that, I thought I was automatically a good neighbor because I was a follower of Jesus. I was a child of God. And we just got done singing all these songs about the greatness and the glory of God in heaven. And for me, all I knew was that if God is that great and I am his child, then I have all that greatness in me. And anybody who comes across my path is just going to be lucky to do so because I have all this goodness that's just going to pour out onto their lives, right? So I didn't really think about working hard at being a neighbor because I just assumed that's kind of how things worked. And when I first got to the Keller Park neighborhood... Uh, I didn't see it as I see it now. Now I see the Keller Park neighborhood as this wonderful small little neighborhood filled with wonderful people. But then all I could see when I first moved in was a neighborhood that was full of challenges. 
And so all I knew was that I, as a child of God, was going to bring all of God's greatness and all of God's goodness into all of my neighbors and all of their challenges in Keller Park, and everything else was going to be better. Never fear, Keller Park. Ryan from Bethel College was here, and y'all about to get loved on was kind of uh, my presence as I came into the neighborhood. Uh, my children love Disney movies, and so the Moana movie came out. There's a song from that movie uh, that the line, the chorus is, what can I say except you're welcome? And that was kind of, kind of my theme song, the mentality I had moving into the neighborhood. Just being real with you. <laughs> so I spent the next four years loving on my neighbors. I would get excited when it snowed because I could go and... Uh, shovel sidewalks for old ladies. Uh, we gave out popsicles to kids who would be coming by. Goodness, we gave out so many popsicles. So many popsicles to kids. Uh, we would give, I would give rides to people who needed rides, whether it was rides to work or rides to the grocery store, you know, just people walking around. I'd give them rides, and I wouldn't expect any repayment at all. I was like Uber before Uber and without all the money. And I even... Uh, would let people mow my lawn. I would pay people money to mow my lawn, even though I could mow it myself, but I was such a kind person that I would pay them to do it so that they could have that. Uh, so as expected, after some years of doing that, uh, people from my neighborhood ended up loving Ryan from Bethel. But that actually wasn't the case at all. That wasn't my experience. Quite the opposite. I remember when this whole story for me came crashing down several years into being in the neighborhood. There was one of my neighbors, David, uh, who would come by and he'd always pull his mower down the street and look for jobs mowing and I would always have him mow and pay him. And one day he comes by and says, hey, you know, can I mow your yard? I need some money. And I said, I don't have any money today, which was the truth. I just didn't have any money. Uh, and he's like, well, I need some money. And I was like, well, you're going to have to go find somewhere else to get money because I don't have any money. You know, what do you want from me? And he, he gets really upset with me, and he starts yelling at me, screaming at me, which is kind of embarrassing on the street. So he's screaming at me. He's like, you jerk. It's not the word he used, but he yelled, you jerk. You only love yourself. And I was so mad that this was happening to me. To me, I'm the good neighbor. I'm bringing greatness into his life. And he says, I only love myself. And oh, man, I let him have it. I was like, what do you mean I only love myself? I don't even need you. I only let you mow my lawn so I can give you money. That didn't come out the way that I wanted it to in that conversation with him. But it proved that he was right. He was exactly right. I had no relationship with David. I was loving on him, but I wasn't actually loving him. That same week, it's funny how these things kind of pile up in life sometimes, right? It was that same week I got a phone call from a family that I'd been trying to help uh, counsel through some conflict that they were having as a family. And by trying to help them, uh, at that point in my life, it was uh, just giving them the easy answers that would solve all of their problems and make everything better, right? Because uh, when I was like 25 years old, I knew everything already at that point in time. Uh, so they call me and... I'm expecting another thank you, and instead of getting a thank you on the phone, what I get is yelled at and screamed at and cussed out over the phone again, saying that I had ruined their lives and the lives of those in their family, that it was me that had done this, 
that I was just a do-gooder who had no right giving advice into their lives. And again, they were right. I didn't have a strong relationship with them. I was just talking to them, giving easy answers without really caring about the deeper things. I was loving on them without loving them. And those two phrases aren't always mutually exclusive, but in these situations, for me, they, they definitely were. The crisis hit me because the consensus was that I was a bad neighbor, and I didn't know what to do with that. I was broken. I began to ask God where I went wrong, and God began to show me the wall. It was the wall that separated me from my neighbors. It wasn't a real wall. It was a conceptual wall, so nobody had to pay for it. It's kind of a (laughs) dicey issue when it comes to walls these days. But it was a wall of power and pride that was separating me from those I lived the closest to. It kept me on one side, and it kept my neighbors on the other. And this wall came out of this fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of God and what it meant for God to love and what it meant for me to imitate that love. Because again, I saw this picture of God who is up in heaven in all of his greatness and all of his glory and he just looks down on us poor people down here on the earth and he just bestows his love upon us and we are so lucky to have him showering his love from afar upon us. And we as his followers who are filled with his greatness look at all the broken people around us and we just get to sprinkle that love onto them, and they will be happy. But that's not the story we see of Jesus. The story of God as we see his love most clearly. Because that story is a story of a fullness of love that doesn't live behind these walls of inequality. And realizing that loving well takes tearing down walls that separate us. There's two walls that I want us to talk about tonight. The first thing is this. Being a loving neighbor takes tearing down the wall of distance. Tearing down the walls of distance. It's so tempting to try to love on neighbors, love on people from a distance, right? Like I carve out my space over here, and then you all have your space over here. And it works out okay because there's this distance between us, right? So I can go over and I can love on you real quick here and then I can hop back into my world and have my, my peace and my safety and my separation and my distance. It's less messy that way. But less messy isn't the example we see from Jesus. That's not how the story goes. Instead, we see more messy in John 1, 14, I love this translation from the message. It says this. It says, the word, the word of God, Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Moved into the neighborhood that God didn't stay distant. He didn't stay off in the realm of heaven. But instead, he came and he moved into our neighborhood. He got close to us. He removed the distance. He got into the middle of it all. He got dirty, he got close. But this verse isn't just about location, right? It's not just that he moved into the neighborhood, it says he also became flesh and blood, right? He took on 
not just our location, but he took on our identity. He took on something much deeper than that in who we are. He became a neighbor of location and a neighbor of identity. And if we're going to follow Jesus and tear down the walls of distance, we have to look at that example. That it's not just getting close in location to others, but also letting go of the things inside that separates us. The very parts of our identity that keep us from others. Because the truth is we can be standing beside someone right next to them and still have miles apart in our hearts from them. And that was me in Keller Park. I was there, I mean, I was there in the neighborhood, right? If God moved into the neighborhood, I moved into the neighborhood. I was there, I lived next to my neighbors. You live next to your neighbors, you're there. I was there in the neighborhood, but I was still separated by identity, right? Even though I was in Keller Park, I was still Ryan from Bethel College, and they were still neighbors of Keller Park. There was that distance in how I perceive myself and in how I perceive my neighbors. I saw my neighbors and I knew they were God's children, but they were not yet my people. There was separation. For me to love my neighbor as well, I learned I had to move in, in my heart, as well as in my location. I had to become Ryan from Keller Park. I had to become a Keller Park neighbor myself, in my identity so that when the power went out on July 2nd of 2014 because a tornado went through the neighborhood, it wasn't just those neighbors that I need to go help. It was all of us together. It wasn't just their problem. It was our problem. And I understood the needs because I was experiencing it myself. I knew what it felt like. I knew what love meant in that situation because I was right there in the middle of it. And when our pizza delivery guys kept getting held up, and robbed in the neighborhood. It wasn't just a problem for those people in that neighborhood over there. It was my problem too. Because I cared about the reputation of our neighborhood, of my neighborhood. I cared about the safety of people coming into my neighborhood because it could just be one of my friends that was doing that. I cared because I ordered pizza and I didn't want Papa John's to stop delivering pizza to my neighborhood. <laughs> right? It became an us problem, not a them problem. And when kids have nothing positive to do to keep them from trouble, or when our schools are failing, it's no longer a problem for my neighbors. It's a problem for all of us because I have kids in the neighborhood. I have kids in the schools. Right? It wasn't just about location. It also had to be about what was going on in here, that there needed to be a, a mutuality of understanding for me to love them well. So what about for us? What does it look like for us here, sitting here tonight, to tear down walls of distance? Well, let's start about talking about where we're at, because we're all somewhere right now, right? You all are somewhere. You, you live somewhere. Uh, you work somewhere. You, you participate in social circles that are already going on. You're already shopping places, right? You already have a world that has neighbors in all sorts of different ways and definitions going on around you. What does it look like for wherever you already are to remove the walls of distance? from those that are around you. Right, I grew up in a neighborhood with garages. 
right? And many of us live in neighborhood with garages where you drive your car and you can pull into your garage and the garage door goes up and you, you pull in and the garage door goes down and you go into your door that's inside the house and your neighbors are all doing the same and you have fences and you really don't see your neighbors unless it's like Halloween or something when people are out going door to door knocking and getting candy, right? It can be so easy to be living right next to each other and still have distance that's between us. Or in work, we have cubicles or whatever it is where we can work day in and day out with the same people and because we just still see them as like a coworker, and we see kind of this lack of unity with them, we can maybe never even ask what's going on in their life or get into those deeper things and we stay at a distance even though our locations are very close and sometimes that can go on for years like that. And even in our churches, right? We're all in here tonight. We're sitting next to each other. We're looking across at each other. We sit in the round so that we see each other. And the reality is that maybe you're one of those people. I feel like I'm always talking to people that are coming in. And so many times people are saying, I'm coming into church, but I feel so alone. I can sit there and I don't feel like, I, I don't feel like anybody really knows me, the real me. I don't know how to connect with people. I'm close to people and that I'm there all the time. I'm coming week in and week out and yet I just feel so distant from people. What does it look like for us to get rid of those walls of distance between us and the people sitting around us? For one, we just need to be aware of it, right? It's so great uh, that Jason keeps leading us in this that if you've been here more than once, you are a... Right, because it's so important for us to take the initiative to say just because someone's sitting in here doesn't mean they don't feel distant, right? We need to be there for each other. So we need to tear down the walls of distance where we're at and the places we already are. But what about tearing down the walls of distance maybe in the places we need to be going? Because maybe we're not meant to stay put. Maybe we are, but maybe we're not. There's some of you in here perhaps that there's a calling you feel God tugging in your heart that is leading you to love people, love a certain group of people, maybe it's a demographic, maybe it's teenagers or children or um, people that live in a certain place, maybe it's the vulnerable that are on the streets of our city, or maybe it's a vulnerable community or otherwise it's another country around the world somewhere, and you felt this on your heart. What does it mean for you to remove the walls of distance there? What does it mean for you to, like Jesus, find a way to take on flesh and move into the neighborhood. Well, maybe it means moving into the neighborhood. Like, let's consider that as one possibility. Maybe for you to love the people you are called to love well, maybe you need to move. Just think about it. Maybe that's one thing. Maybe it's not about moving our houses. Maybe it's about getting in the neighborhood with other people in other ways, right? Maybe it's about where you eat. What are ways with those people that you are called to love more? How can you change uh, where you eat or how you eat so that you are eating in proximity with others, that you are finding nearness, you are removing distance in how you go about eating? Or how about how you go about shopping? You know, do you shop in a place that puts you around people that you feel led to love? Or your social circles, where do you hang out? There's all sorts of different ways that we can take action in our life to put ourselves in close proximity to the people that God is calling us to love. What might it be for you? Maybe it's not a physical place. 
Maybe the call on your, on your life is to be a neighbor in a neighborhood of experience. Maybe it's something you've gone through, you've experienced in life. Maybe, maybe you've been a victim of abuse. Or maybe you've experienced uh, addiction recovery and going through that in your life. What are the things that you perhaps have gone through? Maybe it's uh, battling through mental health. And that because of these things that you've gone through, you are already near to other people you may not even know yet because you share these common experiences. And you have this, the walls of distance are already torn down if you're only able to see them and know them. God desires us to love others by seeing the walls of distance torn down. There's a second way that we need to tear down walls, and that's this, that becoming a loving neighbor takes tearing down the walls of pride. The walls of pride. My wall of pride was this false perception that in God, because of God, because of his greatness, and because I was with him, that I had everything to offer my neighbors and nothing that I needed from them. I was the one that was here to offer them goodness, and I didn't need anything in return. That I had this privileged status. But this, again, isn't the story we see from Jesus. I love this in Philippians 2. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible in Philippians 2. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's go back to verse six there. I love this. Jesus, even though he was in his very nature God, had all of the status, all of the privilege, all of the benefits of this heavenly status. It says he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or in other translations, it says something to be held on to, something to be clung to, something to be vigorously defended that you don't want to let go of, right? Jesus didn't say, I have this status, I'm going to hold on to it. Instead, Jesus opened his hands to love us well. He opened his hands and he let go of his privileged status. And time and time again, he did it, and he went deeper, and he let go of more, and he gave up more, and he gave up more. He took on flesh. He moved into our neighborhood. He took on the form of a servant. He was faithful even to death on the cross. The story of Jesus is one of him constantly humbling himself more and more for the sake of loving and dignifying others. We see examples of this uh, we see uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we were going through talking about baptism, and we see Jesus approach John the Baptist. And as he approached John the Baptist, he said, hey, John, will you baptize me? And John looks at him, and he, he realizes who Jesus is, and he realizes his status, and he's like, this isn't right. You should be the one baptizing me, not the other way around. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, John, this is the way it needs to be. And Jesus humbled himself and had John baptize him. 
we see the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, that Jesus was a Jew and the Jews had this higher status and the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman and the Jews looked down on the Samaritans and considered them uh, despicable and lowly and wouldn't talk to them. And Jesus walked up to the woman at the well and he asked the woman at the well, he said, woman, can you get me a cup of water? And she looked at him and she says, why, how is it that you, a Jew, you, someone of a privileged status, are even talking to me, a Samaritan, someone like me, of low status? How is it that you are even talking to me in this position? And yet Jesus, time and time again, goes out of his way to humble himself, to raise up and love and dignify those around him. In Luke 7, we're told the story of what, what we're just told is an immoral woman that comes before Jesus and throws herself at his feet and uh, douses his feet in perfume and, and washes his feet with her hair. And everybody sitting in the room is so disgusted that Jesus would let this woman of low status come and that he would receive this gift of thanks, thankfulness from her. And Jesus rebukes them again, Jesus humbling himself to dignify and love and lift up others. I hear these stories and I remember how far from loving my neighbor I was. I was the opposite. I was the neighbor that my mindset was, I'm here to help you, not the other way around. And so I created this dynamic where there wasn't equality between me and my neighbors. I was clinging to this position of status and not letting others anywhere near it. I didn't see them as people that I needed to receive anything from in the beginning. And the change came for me when I went to uh, CCDA, Christian Community Development Association, the national conference, and we just had a group that just got back from it this year. It's really fantastic. And as I was there talking to people who are uh, constantly asking this question of how to love our cities well and how to be good neighbors and love well, uh, it was constantly pointed out by people at that conference uh, that, of course, my neighbors aren't fond of me when I'm walking around like I, acting like I have everything to offer and nobody else has anything to contribute. And it started the wheels turning for me. How can I work to start to see and honor the talents of others more? What does it look like for me to, to see the goodness that God has put into those around me and realize how much I need that in my life? I remember one of the first times I stepped out in practice of this. Uh, I was giving a, a guy a ride home from work and uh, we pulled into my driveway and he was like, hey, thanks so much for giving me a ride. Is there anything I can do for you to say thanks? And normally my response was like, no, man, I'm just, you know, I just, you know, this is just because I love God, you know, and, you know, like just go and have a great day kind of a thing. And I'm remembering this and I was like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> like I have a car I can drive around, but I don't know how to change my taillight. Like, do you know how to change a taillight? And he's like, oh yeah, like I, I don't have a car, but I know how to fix cars. And he's like, I'll totally do that for you. So he went and like replaced my taillight. And that started a new relationship between me and my neighbor that was a relationship of friendship because I realized here's a neighbor that all this time I didn't think had anything to offer my, me or, or I acted like he didn't have anything to offer the world. And now we were in a relationship where it was clear that he needed me and I needed him. And there was love in that relationship that started for the first time. Over time, I grew to understand that it wasn't just about skills, but also wisdom and virtue that I needed to see in my neighbors around me. 
and God started to show me the, uh, a woman around the corner uh, who my perception at that point had just been about how difficult it was for her to constantly to make ends meet. And God began to, to open my eyes to see uh, her reality, which was this. She was the only one in her home that had a low-paying job that she was uh, working to make things work. Not only was she supporting her three kids, but she had uh, her sister that was living with her, with a couple of kids from her sister, and then another friend of hers that was going through a rough time, and her kids. So this one woman was not only working to, to support her kids, but also these other friends of hers and family members and their kids. And I just remember being so convicted that I had so much more than my, my neighbor did, and I would be willing to do so much less when it came to loving other people. My neighbor had a love and a generosity for others that was so much more pure and so much more selfless than anything I could come close to. And I'd been missing it all of this time. I needed God to change my heart, change my vision. Loving relationships develop when we realize we need each other. But we need to cultivate that. We need to grow that. That's something we need to work on and build in our relationships with our neighbors. This relationship where we have each other's back and need each other. Uh, we began to see this as a church at that time because we would realize how many times we would sit back and say, I would love to be a good neighbor, but nobody ever needs me. I sit in my house, and if anybody ever knocked on my door, I would be there for them. I would do all kinds of things for them, but nobody ever comes and asks. Right? And we started to ask the question, uh, maybe they don't think you have that kind of relationship, right? Like, what have we done to cultivate a relationship where our neighbors feel comfortable turning to us for anything? What have I done to let them know that it's okay to be like that? And so we started saying this thing that became like uh, kind of a meme for us almost, almost, which is this. One of the simplest acts of kindness you can do is asking your neighbor simply for a cup of sugar, just going next door and saying like, hey, do you have a cup of sugar I can borrow? Because it does three things. And that one, it places you in a humble position, right? Which imitates the love Jesus showed for us and how he went about it, right? It places us in a position of humility and need. The second thing it does is it affirms to your neighbor that they have something of value, right? So suddenly they are elevated and dignified and aware that they have something to offer you and have something to offer others. And third, it establishes a new normal for your relationship, right? So the next time they need sugar or uh, a babysitter or whatever it is, now they're like, hey, yeah, I remember, you know, Ryan came and asked me for something. Like, so we clearly have that kind of relationship, so, so I can go and ask him for something, right? So it does those things when we extend ourselves in, some, in an act that's just so simple, Maybe it's not sugar. Maybe you take that one step further. Maybe instead of asking for something, maybe you share something of yourself. Maybe you share something. Uh, I just started on Lexapro for some anxiety symptoms I've been having. Like I started like a month ago. And I remember sharing that on Facebook because um, I just want to be real about that kind of stuff. And there were so many people, both publicly and privately, who messaged me. And I got a lot of private messages from people saying, thank you for saying something because, you know, that's been something I've been dealing with for a while and never felt like I could talk about it with anybody because so many, so many times we just don't really talk about that kind of stuff. And it was just in sharing of myself that I opened the doors for others to be able to share with me and for others to be able to find freedom, perhaps, in areas that they 
hadn't experienced much freedom in a while. When you share of yourself, it does those three same things. It humbles yourself. It shows that you have need. It affirms the other person, the dignity of the other person, that they have goodness in them that, that you need in your life. And three, it establishes a new normal just in sharing and opening up like that. Let's think about that as a church. Because again, the reality is just because you're standing next to somebody or sitting in a chair next to somebody doesn't mean there aren't walls between you. Right, and we can come in here and feel so distant to each other. What can we do so that we can humble ourselves? Right, so that we can uh, get rid of the walls of pride that are between us. It's so easy to come into settings like this and have these masks right, that we feel like we have to pretend we got certain things going on or don't have certain things going on, and we wear this mask uh, of pride, and we come in, and, and then other people wear their masks of pride, and we all walk around feeling like we have to be a certain way. What would it look like for us to just take those off and be real with each other and talk about what we're really going through or what we're really thinking, what we're really wrestling with? You know, if we could take off those masks of pride, be real with each other, Think about the freedom we would experience and the freedom and the love that others would experience through that process as well. How between us can we get rid of the walls of pride that separate us? Uh, Zach and the team are gonna come up at this point in time. I really love this. Uh, this is just gonna be simply a practice of this that we're talking about together. This understanding that to love each other well means getting rid of the separation to love each other well means we need to find ways to be in relationship with each other in this mutual way that realizes that we need each other. That yes, we have a God who is great and full of glory and God over all the heavens and earth, but he doesn't just stay in that. We have a God who moves into the neighborhood, who takes on flesh, who humbles himself to love and dignify others. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love for us. God, you know exactly who I am. You know all of these stories of failures I've shared and all the stories of failure I haven't shared. You know the hearts of all of us and you're not surprised by them. You love us in the midst of them. You enter into our world and you walk through them with us. May we realize that love and maybe that be the kind of love that we humbly extend to others. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, as we leave tonight, uh, I wanna leave you with a simple challenge because we wanna get really practical about this. Uh, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, if you're looking for a way to dive into something practical, here is one small step. This is our good neighbor challenge for this week. Uh, it's this, look for an opportunity this week to break down walls with your neighbor by humbling yourself. Consider asking for help or sharing a story of a personal challenge. Okay, some, just something very simple. This doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, I had a friend last Sunday after we preached this, he ends up texting us and he says, hey, uh, Tuesday, can you pick up my daughter from school? And we're like, yeah, of course, totally. He's like, is this my asking for help for the week? <laughs> this kind of like, yeah, like, 
now I know that if I need my daughter picked up, I'm going to call you, right? So just whatever it is, find something simple, just one simple step you can take to break down these walls between your neighbors. And when we get together next, we'll probably have some debrief time to be able to talk about this. Remember that time that we get together next is not next Tuesday because that is Halloween, uh, which could be National Good Neighbor Day, uh, time to get out, get in your neighborhoods, uh, be around those that are around you. So uh, next time we'll get together will be next Sunday will be the opportunity for that. And then we'll be back on Tuesdays the week after that. Sound good? All right, I will leave you with our usual benediction. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great night.